Father, we would know what it is that you have brought us near to yourself, that you have brought down the wall of hostility. We have been called and are sons and daughters of the Most High. You've placed your name upon us, and that we are yours, and we are to worship you in spirit and in truth. We are to come before you to present our requests and our offerings. Father, this morning we indeed would pray for your church. We pray for this church. That, Father, as we gather to this morning, represented right here, and, and there's many who are unable to be with us, there are a myriad of concerns. There are pains in our bodies, sorrows in our hearts. There are hurts. Father, there are fractured relationships in this room this morning. No doubt in a group this size, O oh Lord, there are folks here who don't yet know you. And so the wall of hostility remains between them and you. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would come and be at work. Mending the great relationship between us and you. Mending our relationships between one another. And then, Father, sending us out into the world that we would be Christ's ambassadors. Proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Ministers of reconciliation, each and every one of us. Doing it all for your glory. So, Father, we pray this morning that you would be praised. We pray that we would be edified. And that all of these things would happen for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with us, with me. It's the curse. That's, that is exactly what this is. If you want to know if the curse is operational, you turn this microphone. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you turn there, I want to take this opportunity to welcome you. It's good to see so many faces, some of them becoming familiar to me. Um, and, uh, and I hope that I have an opportunity over the next couple of months to meet every single one of you individually and in some sort of a context where I get to learn a little bit about you going on with you. And if you're visiting with us, we're very delighted that you're here and, um, and so thankful that you've chosen to come and to worship uh, our Creator with us today. And we hope to have an opportunity to welcome you and to greet you and to, and to just tell you how glad we are that you came and visited with us. So we're really thankful that you uh, chose today to come and to be here. And, um, and it really is our prayer and my prayer and our prayer that uh, you will be encouraged um, as we come and as we worship together. So if you're in Second Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read beginning in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. So let's do this together. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. 
For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come to Your Word, we ask that, Father, You would open it for us, Holy Spirit, that You would illumine it and give us understanding and apply it to our lives, that we would not leave this place today as we came, but that we would be changed by the power of the Word and of the work of the Spirit. So, Father, we want all of this to happen because we know that it gives you glory and it is good for us as we live life under the sun. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of y'all get the Sunday paper? Well, there goes that intro. Or the news, or watch television and see the news there. Okay, all right. Most of you, when you watch the news, you open the paper, you get on your iPad, whatever it is you do, however it is you interact with the world, what you see is a world full of conflict. Conflict is everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Am I not on? I'm trying. Okay. That's all right. Everywhere. There's conflict absolutely everywhere. We're going to do a swap. Golly. We have a brand new microphone. So now we know. I don't think it's the mic. Bear with us. It's the curse. All right. And we're. So, everywhere you look around, every relationship you have, full of conflict. Um, you know, you, you, you can go absolutely nowhere, engage in, in any activity, you are going to experience probably some sort of conflict. The world is in turmoil. I mean, just go and look at the news. And it's been that way for a long, long, long time. Billy Joel wrote a song a few years ago 
the title of it was, We Didn't Start the Fire. Anybody remember this song? Here's the chorus. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Okay? Billy Joel understands. He understands when he looks at the world and when he looks at his relationships, that there's a lot of conflict to be had. You know, I, I always say as Christians, as people who have the Bible, we should understand this better than anyone because our theology tells us that the world is in conflict. If you were to go back to the book of Genesis and you were to look there, what you would, what you would uncover in the first couple of chapters is that, there, there, that God created Adam and Eve. And after he created Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve made a decision in which they disobeyed God. And when they made that decision, our relationships, their relationship with God, first of all, fell into conflict. Remember, after Adam and Eve did that, they went and they hid from God, and God came in the cool of the day, and he called out, where are you? And Adam said, I was naked, so I hid. There was a conflict now between God and man. And then you'll remember when God began his questioning of Adam about exactly what had taken place and everything, what did he do? He took his wife and he promptly threw her under the bus. And he said, the woman that you gave to me, she made me eat the apple. And so there was conflict between Adam and Eve right out of the gate. And then you move to the next chapter, and what do you learn? In the very next chapter, you read the story of Cain and Abel. Conflict. And then you also read in this story that there was conflict between man and creation. We don't readily see this. I went to the farmer's market yesterday morning, great little farmer's market up here at Harmony Crossing, and, and I walked around, saw a few of you there, and I walked around, beautiful produce. You know what they went through to get that? They fought the ground. Thorns and thistles and weeds and bugs galore because there's conflict between us and the creation that is out there. Conflict absolutely everywhere. The Apostle Paul knew about this conflict. In this book of 2 Corinthians, what has happened? There are a number of things that have happened. We don't completely, fully know the entire situation between the Apostle Paul in this church that he planted in Corinth. But there, was, there were problems, big problems. There were problems in the church. There were problems from the outside imposing their will upon the church. So all sorts of conflict. Apparently within this church in Corinth, a group had risen up that, that was challenging the Apostle Paul. They were saying all kinds of things about him. He couldn't preach. He, he, he had no status, no stature among them. So there were all of these issues inside this church. Go back and you read the, the first letter to the Corinthians and you'll see that just the church itself was a mess, a real wreck. And so somewhere in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, it's widely believed that Paul wrote another letter, often called the severe letter, in which he really went after them. It's probably a good thing we don't have it. Okay? But we do have 2nd Corinthians. And in 2nd Corinthians, we, we continue to feel this pressure, this, this anxiety that was in this church, this challenging of the Apostle Paul and of the doctrines of salvation that he was teaching. 
And so when we get to this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all of that is present. And all of that is clearly in Paul's mind, though he is trying to take the Corinthian people and he's trying to challenge them to be about the business of gospel living. And we really get that sense here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. The Apostle Paul challenges them to be and to have a ministry of reconciliation. He really is literally saying, you are ministers of reconciliation. And in this section, he talks about it in at least six ways. We're, gonna, we're going to look at, the kids said, Dad, we don't think you've ever had a six-point sermon Looking at the clock, do we have time? Sure. We have time for a six-point sermon this morning. And these are going to be the six points, all right? The first is that this ministry of reconciliation is personal. It's personal. The second is this ministry of reconciliation is costly. Third, this ministry of reconciliation is ours. Fourth, this ministry of reconciliation is vast. Fifth, this ministry of reconciliation is imperative. And the sixth point will be this ministry of reconciliation is substantive or doctrinal. Okay? We're going to press through the first five because I really want to spend a little bit of time on that number six. So let's talk about this first one. The ministry of reconciliation is personal. You'll see this in the text as the Apostle Paul says, glasses, As the Apostle Paul says in verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. There it is. This ministry of reconciliation is personal. That is, God has done, in order for you to be a minister of reconciliation, that is, one who goes out into the world and is a peacemaker between people and God and between people and people, you have to first experience it. And so the Apostle Paul says, God has gone out and he's done an amazing thing. God did it. While we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. He is the mover in salvation. He is the one who is the primary actor. And so what we read is all the way down through the story of Scripture is God is the one who is engaging. He is the one that is acting. When Adam and Eve fall and and they're they're plunged into sin, it is God who comes and covers them. They're running around looking for leaves to cover themselves with. And God comes and he covers them in animal skins. And he promises them that he will one day send... He will one day send one who will crush the head of the serpent. So right there at the beginning of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, 15 and 16, you read an amazing promise that God is going to initiate and he will be at work, what? Reconciling us to himself. And so the Apostle Paul says here in this verse then, right, verse 18, all of this is from God. Every bit of it, regardless of where you are on the spectrum of predestination and election, you, you, you do know and you do believe that God is the primary actor. Without his work, our reconciliation would have been impossible. Now, 
The second point that I want you to see is that the the ministry of reconciliation is costly. It's costly. And we see it again in verse 18 because Paul calls it a ministry of reconciliation. And that word ministry is a word that we're familiar with. It's the word from which we get deacon from. And it has tied to it and around it and and the idea of service. Now, service, diaconal ministry in the Scriptures is, is costly because it requires humility. And often in the Bible, what goes along with that kind of ministry is, is typically uh, some type of hostility. You're often, you're, you're often engaged and, and, and um, you know, people looking at you in certain ways and in hostile ways. The Apostle Paul talks about his own interaction with the Corinthian church and all of the things that he had been through as a servant of Christ. If you turn over to chapter 6, you'll see it in verse, um, chapter 6, verse 3. He says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, and beatings, imprisonments, riots, and hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, and purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, and the Holy Spirit, and in, in, in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown. That's the Apostle Paul's description of his ministry among them. But notice how he begins it. He begins it by saying, as as ministers, as servants of God. Our ministry is often costly to us. It's costly to us because it requires a certain humility. When I got to Mountain Home Air Force Base um, back in 2005... I was a newly minted chaplain, first lieutenant, and, uh, and, and I arrived at the Air Force Base, and right away I met one of our chaplain assistants, Joe B. I met Joe, found out he was from Alabama. Oh, this is going to be great. Then I found out not only was he from Alabama, but he rooted for the, for the right team from Alabama. He was an Auburn Tiger himself. Oh, this is going to be fantastic. And then I learned he loved Jesus. Well, what could be better than a chaplain assistant who loved the Lord, was from Alabama, and worshipped the Auburn Tigers? Joe and I had the absolute worst relationship ever. We were constantly at odds with one another. And I... and. I soon learned we were just oil and water. Nothing would mix for us. We, we could never come together in any sort of peaceful negotiation. And we, no, anything that happened in the chapel, and he and I worked together on it, it was painful. And we were constantly at each other. And I was constantly having to go to him and say, All right, Joby, what's the problem? What can I do? And it was very painful. For, it was costly in my own life. Because I was an officer, and he was enlisted for crying out loud. 
He was supposed to do whatever I told him to do. And he was supposed to salute smartly and say, yes, sir. And he never did it. And so I had to learn as a young first lieutenant and then captain that it just doesn't work that way. And it was costly to my pride and to my humility that I would have to go to him over and over until the time that I left, I was going to Joe B and I was asking him to forgive me and I was asking him, what can I do to make our relationship better? Listen, to be a minister of reconciliation, a servant of reconciliation, it's costly. It's very costly in our lives. Now, let's look at this third point. The ministry of reconciliation is ours. It is ours. It's not somebody else's. It's not everybody else out there. It's not their ministry of reconciliation. It's not Marion's ministry of reconciliation or my ministry of reconciliation. The Apostle Paul says it is our ministry of reconciliation. Look at this. Verse 18. All this from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry. Now, look, we may could weasel out of it if the Apostle Paul said he gave me the ministry of reconciliation, but he didn't. He included the Corinthians in this, in this statement. And so what he's saying is we have this ministry of reconciliation. No one is excluded. And we have to become acquainted with it. You have got to know it personally. Right? Luther said that we are to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. You have to preach the gospel to yourself daily in order to be a minister of reconciliation. Because you won't get it otherwise. You won't have what it takes to be a minister of reconciliation if you aren't constantly reminded of the work of reconciliation that God has done with you. And so Paul tells us that it is our ministry of reconciliation. He goes a little bit further. What else does he say? Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, as he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And then in verse 20, he says these words, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. How amazing is that statement? Typically, the President of the United States has an ambassador for each country. So, if you're the ambassador to China, you go to China and you do business on behalf of our country. You do business on behalf of the President. And there's only one ambassador for each country. But what Paul is saying is, God has made all of those that he brings to himself. So if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, and you know God the Father personally, intimately, because of that salvation, Paul says, you are an ambassador. God has millions of ambassadors. You remember George Bush's thousand points of light, million points of light, whatever it was? That's what we are. We are His ambassadors. He has thousands and millions and millions of ambassadors. And we go and we do His bidding. We, how amazing is this? That we speak for Him. 
It's as if God were speaking when you and I go out and we do the ministry of reconciliation with others. It's as if He is doing that Himself. That is how amazing, that is how powerful the opportunity that you and I have is. What's the next item? The next item is that this, is, this ministry is quite vast. Verse 19 again. That God was reconciling what? The world to Himself in Christ. That God was reconciling the world to Himself. And listen. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Thinking about this point, we, we get this. Walk outside, walk down the hallway. There's a map of the world right there in, the, in, in our hallway. And in that, on that map are, are pictures of all of the missionaries that you all support that are out there in the field doing their work. But I'm going to tell you, it, and, and it's not just Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, it's American churches in general. We are short-sighted, we are near-sighted when it comes to the work that God is doing in the world. And here's why I think it is. I think it's that way because we attach our Christianity too closely to our citizenship in this country. Hey, I'm an American. I'm a patriot. I'm, I'm still serving our country in the military. Many of you have done that. We are patriots. We love our country. That is right and good for you to love your country. But when you attach your Christianity too closely... You lose sight of what God is doing in this world. Listen, he, he, the ministry of reconciliation is for the world. Let's just take the Presbyterian Church. The Presbyterian Church in Brazil right now dwarfs, dwarfs. It, it's, it's a million and a half, two million Presbyterians in Brazil. In the Brazilian Presbyterian Church that is closely affiliated with the PCA, a million and a half to two million folks are now members. Way more churches than we have. The gospel is growing like wildfire down there in Brazil. Go to Africa. Go to China where the church is burgeoning. It is growing. It is bursting. Every language, every tribe, every color, the gospel is advancing. Because the ministry of reconciliation is for the world. Don't be hindered. Don't be hindered by by thinking too narrowly about what it is that God is doing because God is at work in the world. Kent and, and Dave, thank you for you all heading up that ministry team and reminding us about the ministry that is going on out there in the world. And we want to we need to hear that and pray for that and be about that. All right, here's the next thing that the Apostle Paul says. He says in verse 20 that this ministry is imperative. He doesn't say it in so many words, but notice how he goes about it. He says, right, we implore you to be reconciled to God. He's enthusiastic. He's passionate. He's urgent. Why is he so passionate? Why is he so urgent? Go back to verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. Look at what he says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things that he has done while in the body, whether good or bad. 
I think part of the urgency of the Apostle Paul's message at this point where he is imploring, listen, be reconciled to God, is knowing that verse 10 is true. Knowing that that is true, the Apostle Paul is very energetic to get the Corinthians on board, and so he's challenging them with the message. How urgent are you? How urgent is that message in your conversations with people? We were talking this morning around the table as we had our prayer time that, that by a figure that is out there, 80% of the Lake Oconee area is unchurched. Wow. Guess what? That means there's a lot of room for the ministry of reconciliation right here in our small town. A lot of room for the ministry of reconciliation. Marriages. Relate the relationship with their Creator. With children. On and on and on. How, how are you going about that? Do you implore your friends, your golf partners, your fishing buddies? Are you imploring them to be reconciled to God? That when they stand before Him on that final day, they'll stand in the righteousness of Christ. Well, let's talk about this last one. The ministry of reconciliation is substantive. It's doctrinal. Now, there are two verses in here. One of them you may already know, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. That's one that you probably are somewhat familiar with. I hope that you are equally as familiar with 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Listen, in that one verse, if you want a summation of the Gospel, circle verse 21. That's about as compact and concise a statement of what is happening in the Gospel as you will find in the Bible. It is an incredibly significant statement. Let's think about it. God made Him who knew no sin. Who's that? Who lived and knew no sin? Well, Jesus did. Okay? God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that God treated Jesus as when he died on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin of every person who would ever call on his name. Now that's significant. Here's why that's significant. It's significant because we're saying something very specific. When Jesus died on the cross... He didn't die to make salvation possible. When Jesus died on the cross, He died for our salvation. And so when we say that on the cross, Jesus died for every sin of every person who would ever believe, that's very specific. For those who trust in Christ, Jesus has paid for their sin. If Jesus paid for the sin of the world, guess who's going to heaven? The world. Because He didn't die on the cross to make, to make salvation possible. He died on the cross to secure salvation. Now, we don't know who those people are. We, we affirm that. And so we give the Gospel 
openly to the world around us, we announce the good news. But Paul is saying something very specific, and that is that Jesus died for the sin of those who would trust in Him. God treated Him as if He had committed all of those sins. Now here's the reality. Think about this. Was Jesus a sinner? No. Absolutely not. But God treated Him as if He were. Now here's the flip side of that. The flip side of that Gospel message is this. You and I aren't righteous either. But God treats us as if we were. Because exactly the same way as God laid our sin upon Jesus, He conversely lays Jesus' righteousness on us. Are you with me? Are you tracking? That's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 5.21. That is the message of reconciliation. That you and I are not made right with God because of something we've done. If it's because of something you do or have done, you can undo it. But it's not. When you stand before Him, you will stand in the righteousness of another. You will claim not your righteousness, you will claim Christ's righteousness. That's why when Paul says here in verse 21, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what he's talking about. And that's why we say that the ministry of reconciliation is substantive. It's doctrinal. It's not some feel-good theology. It has legs. And we call this doctrine the substitutionary atonement of Christ. That is, He was our substitute, both in His death on the cross and in the righteous deeds that He accomplished. Both of those things are very, very significant for us. And one, He took our penalty, and then the other, He secured what God requires, and that is complete and total perfection. And Jesus was perfect. And that perfection is yours and it is mine. And so when the Apostle Paul is exhorting us to be reconciled, he is saying to us, trust the work of Christ. When you and I go into the world, that is the message of reconciliation we take with us. We take that reconciliation both in our relationships. Listen, that, that theology, okay, that theology causes us to speak with other people eye to eye. It doesn't allow, there's no room in that kind of gospel for us to speak down to somebody else as if somehow we've gotten it and now we have it all together. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to explain to you how it is that you're wrong and I'm right. How it is that I'm righteous and you're not. Because you're going to be speaking from a position of, let me tell you about the amazing news that I get. And that is that God no longer counts my sin against me, but counts me righteous in His sight because of the work of another. That does amazing things for your relationship with God. It does even more incredible things in your relationship with people. With the person that's on your right and the person that's on your left. Now let me ask you, 
Are you a minister of reconciliation? Are you working to see relationships put back together? Apostle Paul says that if you know Christ, it's your ministry. He's called you to it. You are an ambassador of the Creator of the world. Helping put people in relationship with God, that's terrifying, isn't it? It is. Maybe an easier place for you to start is to start thinking about your relationships. Are those relationships reconciled? Is hostility low in them? Are you, are you humble and are you working those relationships in the spirit of humility? Because that's what this gospel does. That's what this ministry of reconciliation does for us and in us and through us. It's a hurting world. You, you know. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. And there is conflict in the world. There's conflict in this room. There's conflict in this church. You know how I know that? My theology tells me that. That's how I know. That's how you know. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be scared by it. Don't be afraid of it. I grew up in a home, love my mom and dad, but I grew up in a home, we didn't talk about conflict. We just don't. We didn't. We didn't talk about it. We, in fact, we go home, um, my sister and I typically don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. She's great. I love her. But I would love to talk about some of the differences that we have and the way that we view the world. But we don't do it at my house, at my mom's house, because she doesn't like conflict. Right? Some of you may not like conflict. I don't like conflict. That's why we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And God has called us. He's asked us to go out into a stormy world. Okay? And to be His ministers of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank You this morning for Your Word. Lord, as we think upon it, as we've meditated on it this morning, as we've looked at it, Father, how amazing it is that You've chosen to use us, that You've put the amazing Gospel message in jars of clay, and that You've sent us out into this world. Father, we want to be faithful ministers of reconciliation. We're scared. Father, some of us have lived for far too long with anxiety and we've lived far too long in an anxious state and we've been at war with others in our lives. Father, you've called us and you are calling us to go out into the world to minister the reconciliation that we have found so dear in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so would you go before us? Would you allow us the privilege of ministering this truth to those around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.